Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talis and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Welcome to the Talis Security Sessions podcast. Today, for episode nine, have I got a treat for you. We'll be examining the results of the recently released Talis Data Threat Report. The 2021 Talis Data Threat Report is based on data from a survey of more than 2,600 respondents in more than 10 countries across the globe. And there are some very interesting findings. Today, for episode nine, we will be examining these findings. And it is my pleasure to welcome again Todd Moore, Global Head of Encryption Products at Talis. Welcome, Todd. It is a pleasure to have you on this podcast again. Hi, Nira. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk about our Talis Data Threat Report today. I hope you're doing well. So, the pandemic drove a lot of new practices, as we have seen, and we were hoping somewhat that businesses are now settling into new ways of working and new processes and perhaps slowly getting back to pre-pandemic normality as it concerns security. Is this the case, Todd? Well, I, I, I think that... Uh... You know, the definition of normal is is quite interesting in today's world, right? Um, what does that What does it mean to be normal before pre-pandemic? I I think what we saw uh, from the data threat report is that things are definitely getting better. Um, offices are reopening, folks are starting to uh, communicate again face to face. But from a security perspective, um, I still think there's some gaps out there, and so things uh, that were open pre-pandemic in terms of gaps within security and imposture to protect yourself. Are still there. So um, we're going to, as we go through the data threat report, we're going to see that uh, some of those gaps are still open and we really need to take action to close those gaps. Absolutely. And it is interesting, really, because, uh, you know, watching the news and everything, uh, we certainly intuitively think that uh, there was an increased amount of uh, cyber attacks, an increased amount of ransomware attacks. Governments are now trying to rally around to try and combat all of this. So can you tell us a bit more about this increase uh, in fraudulent activity? Sure. I, I think we're seeing um, an uptick in uh, cyber activity. Um, it's always been there. Um, it, it's interesting to see that the, the cyber attacks are now coming from all different angles and you know, not just impacting businesses, but it's impacting everyone's daily life. So um, I, I, we we can talk about some specific in the news, uh, Colonial Pipeline and JBS here in the U.S. for two uh, recent attacks um, that really started to impact people. And so now it's over dinner tables that folks are talking about cyber activity. And, and it means that we're going to have to do more to protect um, our information. Um, multi-factor authentication is something we'll talk about today is one of the simplest things that you can do to protect your information. But there's a lot of activity happening with cloud and software as a service applications. And there's things that we can do there to protect ourselves. So I think the uptick in cyber activity, uh, it might sound strange, but the awareness is is grown and more and more folks are now in tune to what needs to happen from a security perspective. 
absolutely certainly there is more awareness there as uh, as as you say it is becoming more visible with the attacks that uh, you have just mentioned you also mentioned uh, authentication one of my uh, favorite topics and uh, i'm really uh, i am really at a loss to understand uh, why there, there is uh, not as much multi-factor authentication as we, we would hope. Multi-factor authentication to me sounds like a, a no-brainer to deploy. Um, uh, it's, it is less complex than other things that organizations might have to do, perhaps. So why is there still such low uptake of something that really should be done as a matter of course? Oh, that's a great question here. I mean, it is it is a straightforward thing that we all can do. Um, in the TELUS data threat report, we found that only 55% of the respondents have fully implemented MFA in their business and, and personal lives. And it, it is not that difficult. Um, all applications, most applications now give you the option to turn on multi-factor authentication. You know, I'm just guessing here, it might be that that folks just, you know, they see it as one more thing they have to do. Um, it seems like it's maybe an annoyance and nuisance to have to have that second step. But from a security perspective, it really truly does um, absolve and resolve uh, many of the, the breach attempts that happen, the phishing attempts that are occurring. I mean, I know in my own personal life, uh, we've turned MFA within my household on. And now you can really see if someone is trying to uh, attempt to look at your email or to enter your your software application. So it, it's a useful tool. Um, I, I don't have a good answer to you if, if, why folks just don't want to do it, but if they just would turn on the MFA, uh, the multi-factor authentication, they could really uh, help prevent uh, a lot of these different type of attacks that are coming coming our direction. Um, I should say one more thing that Nir, I just thought of was, uh, you know, even, even the uh, U.S. government, uh, President Biden, uh, the White House, has put out some guidance just recently, an executive order that stated that all of the federal agencies in the U.S. should turn on multi-factor authentication along with data arrest and data in transit encryption. But so it's, it's just something that we all recognize is just a, a straightforward thing that we have to do, need to do to protect ourselves. And, and indeed, that executive order was uh, very welcomed by the security industry uh, at large. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you mentioned earlier on uh, uh, about cloud services and uh, and usage of uh, SaaS and everything. As it is undeniable that uh, as business have shifted to new processes and new ways of wor working, there's been much much more cloud adoption and everything else. Uh, I, I found it surprising reading the, the report that uh, there was this dichotomy between uh, people answering saying, yes, we're using more cloud. And then on the other hand, people were saying, well, uh, we don't use authentication everywhere. And when your data is somewhere that is essentially not your, yours and, and, and you don't use uh, multi-factor authentication to protect your, your instances, it sounds a bit strange to me what would you think about that? I, I I agree. It is it is strange. Um, just just thinking about you know digging in there a little bit around some of the data that we just found around cloud. I'll just talk about that for a second. We we recognize um, through the study we just completed that only twenty percent of businesses were ready for remote working, and um, one of the aspects of remote working is using more cloud software as a service applications. And when we dug into that and we got some of our survey results back, only a third of the respondents have uh, have already moved 40 to 50% of their data to the cloud. So you know, half of their 
um, important data, critical data is now in cloud services or software applications. And over 25%, a quarter of the respondents have over 50% of their data in the cloud. But what was interesting to us um, is the next question in our survey, that only 83% of the respondents have actually encrypted that data in the cloud. So over 50% of that data is not being encrypted. And so it's, it's kind of... Um, contradictory in the sense that people are starting to use cloud. Um, I think that folks recognize that uh, encryption is an important element when they're going to the cloud as, long, as well as multi-factor authentication or authentication in general. But uh, sticking with the encryption piece, the fact that data is not being encrypted in the cloud means that when someone gets access to that data within a software application or they get access to cloud infrastructure, it's easy for them to exfiltrate, distill that information. And just one other data point, I know I'm somewhat data heavy here, but we are talking about the data threat report is it, it was interesting uh, in one of our questions, we asked uh, respondents, so when a breach does occur and it will occur in a cloud type of environment, um, do you agree that encryption can be a safe harbor? You don't have to say that you were breached if your data was encrypted. And many of the respondents says, yes, they recognize that, that uh, over half the respondents says they recognize the value of encryption and the fact that encryption can protect the data in the cloud, but not many of them are actually doing what they need to do to protect themselves when working in cloud type of yeah. So, Todd, for a brief second, I would like to go back to encryption. Um, and uh, uh, encryption has been around for, for a very long time. And indeed, it has been a, a requirement of, of, of many regulation and, and standards. For example, encryption uh, has always been required as part of the PCI DSS standard. Uh, more need for encryption and other similar safeguards have been driven by the many data protection regulations around the world, uh, such as the, the, the GDPR in, uh, in Europe and uh, other data protection regulations, such as the CCPA in the United States and many other states that have, uh, that have followed that. And of course, uh, last but not least, the new uh, Chinese uh, cyber regulation, which seem to be very, very stringent Indeed. So could you give us some insight in terms of uh, those regulatory requirements and the shift in mindset in the ecosystem as a whole? Sure, sure. Um, I, I think regulations are extremely important in our business. Um, we are seeing an uptick of privacy regulations and laws around the world. I think one of the good news uh, for all of us um, in the industry is that uh, those laws um, have been very disparate based on different regions and, and different uh, privacy standards. I, I think we are starting to see a little bit more of a standardization um, where we're starting to see similar um, aspects of privacy law and regulations. Um, and it's good. I mean, once you have a standard aspect, then it's it's a lot easier for customers and businesses to be able to comply with these different uh, regulatory requirements. It, it is truly a, a shift in mindset, um, really thinking first about how we're protecting information, um, not just for companies, but for the folks that use our products or we interact with on a daily basis. So it's a personal, it is the privacy at, at the personal level. And so how do we change our mindset to be able to, into a behavior of how we implement the right security systems to protect? And, you know, one, one idea is about behaviors, what we already talked about a, a lot in this already around MFA and multi-factor authentication, the use of that, but bringing it back to encryption, um, there is a lot around data protection and um, protection of personal information. Your question about different regulations, um, oh, we are seeing in, the, in our business a lot of uh, different regional requirements. Um, so it, you mentioned GDPR, uh, general data um, 
data protection regulation in Europe. Um, SHRMS 2, it's a year old now, a finding which really uh, changed the way that U.S. companies are now working with European Union data. And now we're seeing a lot more regional countries take hold of being able to manage um, their personal, their uh, sensitive data uh, locally within a sovereign or within specific countries. And we do that through granular access control. We're seeing a lot of centralized key management. We're seeing a lot of on-premise uh, key management where um, folks want to make sure that if they're interacting with cloud environments and you don't know where that data is going outside the physical realms of a country, they're able to manage that through a centralized key management system, which may be on-premise or um, some sort of console that just make sure that you're using the right mechanisms that are available to you, whether that's a, a bring your own key or hold your own key is a way that cloud service providers as well as SaaS applications are giving some control back to individuals as well as countries and businesses within a particular region to be able to meet these different regulations and requirements. So we're definitely going to see um, more regulations coming out. Um, they're coming around all around the world. And we mentioned that executive order from the U.S. Um, with the implementation that, that does include uh, multi-factor authentication and encryption. We may see that also have a shift in the way that we uh, see regulations here in the U.S. going forward. But uh, they're not going away. They're here to stay, the privacy. Indeed, Todd, and a, and a very welcome thing indeed. Um, and, uh, and, and, and let's hope we continue moving in that direction, that technologies continue to evolve to make it even easier for businesses and individuals to protect against uh, criminals. So we've talked about the dynamic aspect of our, of our new world now, and it's more digital and it's more cloud and it's more immediate and it's very uh, dynamic. Uh, and we've talked about the importance of context, the ability to be able to identify uh, what an interaction is and how it is performed, depending on a number of factors such as location, time of day, behavior, and various other factors that would uh, uh, suggest that indiv an individual is or isn't what they claim to be. And therefore, uh, we have observed uh, a substantial move towards zero trust models. And I think that's really, really interesting. Can you tell us more about that and what you've observed in the data threat report? Yes, absolutely. So we, we asked as part of our uh, survey, a data threat report, you know, what was the, uh, the new way that, that individuals are making sure that they're protecting information? And we talked about this a little bit earlier. And um, almost half of the respondents have uh, selected zero trust network access, software defined perimeter as the leading technology that they're using today. Um, a, close second, a close second, excuse me, was policy-based access and authentication. But the idea there is um, it's clear that the world is moving more towards a zero trust model, um, making sure that they're really uh, putting that virtual boundary around uh, the data and who can get access to that data from a protection perspective. Um, also, one of the interesting feedback from the survey was that over 30% of organizations worldwide do have a formal strategy in place now around zero trust. So it's definitely emerging. Um, folks are much more um, in tune to how people are getting access and using the data that they, they treat and view as critical. So I think we're going to see much more of that going forward. Um, the other um, element that came out of the survey, which I thought was interesting, was if you look at zero trust as a whole, um, if you look worldwide, Japan led the country trend with over 40% 
of the businesses responding in Japan were looking at zero trust, where Germany was at 35%, and the U.S. was actually lagging around 25, 26% in terms of the respondents that were moving to zero trust. So I think there's, you know, different parts of the world, again, are moving at their own pace, but I think we're going to see an uptick in the U.S. here very soon and around the world around zero trust technologies. Another uh, another thing that uh, is also interesting is we've been talking about uh, quantum for for a very long time, but uh, it's it's fair to say I think that uh, quantum technologies evolve so much and uh, very rapidly that it is becoming uh, very real right now. And alongside it, there are potentially very real threats such as the ability to uh, you know crack encryption or do other things because there is so much more power now what's your take on that and what uh, has the uh, the Thales data threat report told us well one of the surprising facts i saw in the data threat report was over 85 percent of the respondents said they were concerned about the security threats related to post-quantum computing and so i think if uh, anyone here on the podcast believes that quantum isn't in the front of, of people's minds. The data shows that it, it surely is. I mean, companies and others are starting to you know, look at when post-quantum computing may impact today's security. And, and I would argue that it already does impact today's security. We, we know that uh, there are organizations out there that are collecting information that's encrypted with traditional encryption schemes that may be able to be decrypted in the future. So they're, they're storing that data and, and you know, kind of waiting for that time. I think the other driver to your question here of around um, post-quantum is that NIST, uh, National Institutes of Standards and Technologies, um, did run a competition. Uh, I believe there was geez, there were probably over 50 uh, applicants um, looking at different quantum-resistant algorithms, and NIST has narrowed that down to a field of six or seven, and they're looking to actually make a decision um, around some post-quantum algorithms here in the next year or so. And so I think once the uh, quantum-resistant algorithms are available, uh, from an encryption perspective, you'll see companies like Talus implementing those um, within our products. Uh, many of our products today um, have what we like to call crypto agility. They have something called crypto agility, which allows us to actually um, demonstrate today some of these candidates that NIST has from a quantum resistant algorithm. But in the future, we'll be able to re replace classical or traditional encryption algorithms these quantum resistant algorithms. And that's going to be extremely important as we go into a post-quantum world, being able to protect against the, the post-quantum computing threat, but also um, being able to have a full ecosystem, the value chain that can be upgraded um, very quickly to protect against uh, those computers. So those post-quantum computers as that power becomes available. Absolutely fascinating. So definitely a case of uh, watch this space. I mean, technology moves so far. So I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, NIST comes up with. And uh, no doubt we'll be talking about this again very soon in another podcast, Todd. So one other thing that um, I wanted to to ask uh, in in this podcast is looking at the report and everything from your own point of view did you see i mean you mentioned japan at the country level uh, uh being uh, ahead of the pack in terms of uh, zero trust uh, uh adoption or certainly zero trust uh, having a zero trust strategy uh, would you say there were particular industries that were that were sticking out for some reason or other no, a great question. A great question. That that, that was another um, piece of data that popped up from the report. 
that, uh, you know, even though uh, folks were interested in encryption, they weren't necessarily um, deploying it. But we saw that over a third of the regulated industries, um, healthcare and finance um, specifically, were at the leader of the pack. So, I mean, it kind of goes to one of your previous questions that you asked near around that regulation. So if you look at uh, different uh, regulated industries and in, in finance and healthcare are some of the key ones, um, obviously. So, so they've implemented the appropriate security protection techniques. I, I think that some of the uh, breaches and, and ransomware attacks that we've seen lately, we noticed that the retail industry from our study um, weren't implementing security as much as they should have, but that seems to be the new attack vector. For a lot of the cybersecurity threats out there, so I, I think whether or not you're being regulated, it's important now to implement those appropriate security techniques. Again, whether it's authentication or encryption, but um, um, I, I expect that we'll see hopefully a rise across all industries soon, not just specifically focused on finance and health. Indeed, nobody is immune, whether you are a, a large corporation or, or a small business, as uh, everyone is now turning to to digital. So Todd, thanks so much for the insight about the Thales Data Threat Report. And in view of what you've just said, I mean, I've already read it twice, so we'll read it again and perhaps I'll have more questions for for you later on. But uh, before we finish this podcast, I have one last question for you, Todd, and that is, as a result of all the new data we've seen in the Thales Data Threat Report, have you got one tip one piece of best practice that you would like to uh, leave our listeners with? Sure. Well, one thing we didn't talk about um, that came through in the report is you can't protect information. You can't protect your applications if you don't know where your critical data is. So the one tip or the three words I'll leave for our audience is discover, protect, control. Um, I think those three words really define what we all need to do, whether it's meeting a regulation or just protecting our personal lives or our businesses in terms of go find your critical data, go find those data flows. How is information flowing throughout an organization? Once you find that critical information, protect it. You can protect in a lot of different ways. You can protect it through access control, as we already talked about. You can protect it through encryption or tokenization. But last but not least, control it. And that control comes from uh, centralized key management, centralized policies, making sure, again, from an access perspective, that only the people you want to have access to particular information or systems, you give access only to them. So that would be my my takeaway for our audience is remember those three words, discover, protect, control. And if you live by that in your IT security lives, I, I think you can make a much more robust, uh, protected system. Fantastic. Thank you, Todd. Very wise indeed. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. Todd, you've been a fabulous guest as per usual. Thank you so much for your insights. You have been listening to the Talis Security Session podcast episode 9, we have been discussing the Talas Data Threat Report for 2021. Don't forget to download the report. And that's it for now. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Nira. Bye now. Love this episode of the Talas Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talisgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts 
on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.